So this morning, the teaching comes out of Leviticus, which means if you haven't prayed and asked God to speak to you, you're already screwed. When Rob talks about Leviticus, he says he just plows through it because it's so many rules and regulations, and we're going to dive into that a little bit this morning. But I'm serious when I say that if God doesn't speak to you, you're in trouble. Because when we read the Word of God and we hear Him speak, especially in Genesis, everything is transformed when God speaks. And so it's important that we ask Him to do that for us this morning. So if you would take 20 or 30 seconds between you and the Lord and just ask Him to speak to your heart and mind, I would be grateful so that this whole morning is not contingent upon what I say. Let's do that now. Father, we ask that you speak to us and you change us this morning because you can and because you do and because you have. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Leviticus according to chairs is what I call this. A few weeks ago, Dan talked about slavery. And the Israelites were in slavery. Have any of you ever been in slavery before? Some of us figuratively would say yes, and it's really true, and it's legitimate when we say that. But what's unique about the Israelites is that the people that were in slavery when the Exodus happened had been in slavery for 400 years. That probably means that everyone who entered into the Exodus when Moses showed up we're not the same people that first entered into slavery. For some of us, when we enter into something, we can look back and we can say, I used to be there, and now I'm here. And I don't like where I am now, and I don't like the choices that I made to get here, so I'm going to change the game, and I'm going to start making different choices. And because we have a paradigm or a worldview that has a history that shows us something different, sometimes we know the right steps to take. But for these people, they were born as little babies into slavery. And they had no other way to think. All they could see was this direction. I was born into slavery. I know slavery. I am a slave. And this is the only way that I think. There was, there was no hope and there was no future. It was all one thing. And it was all the same. But then God shows up and he starts to speak in really weird ways. And he does these, these miracles. And he asks the Israelites through Moses, I know that you can't see that way, but I want you to try to turn and take a step into something that's brand new for you. And if you can somehow come up with the faith in a miraculous way, to take that step into something new, I'm going to set you free, even though you have no idea what freedom is. And if you don't know what freedom is, because you don't have a paradigm for it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem good. 
It seems terrifying. Which is why when the Israelites get into the desert, they start to say things like, well, at least we had food back in Egypt. And at least we had shelter. And at least we had this. Because if it's the only thing you know, then it's the best thing you know. And if it's the only thing you know, then nothing can be better than that. But by some miraculous thing, some miraculous miracle, some, some several instances where God proves Himself to them through the process of the exodus and parting waters, they begin to believe there is something a little better out there. And so they enter into the exodus and the desert. Now they're in a place where they're in something new, and everywhere that they step, every new step is brand new. The only history that they have is slavery, and they're in a constant comparison. Was this better? Because that's what I was used to. And a lot of times, that's where my emotions go. And most of the time, that's how I think. But I'm in this new place, and it's different. So I don't know what to do. And then we find the book of Leviticus. Where God starts to say things like, you know, when you were in slavery, and you stole something, you probably got your hand cut off or you got killed. I don't want you to live like that anymore. If you steal from your neighbor, I want you to offer this type of a sacrifice. Or if you wrong your neighbor, I don't want you to be paid back an eye for an eye. I don't want you to be paid back in the same way that you harmed your neighbor. I want you instead to go and make restitution with your neighbor, and I want you to make it right, and I want you to make it right with God through offering a sacrifice. And if you have an animal, I want you to cut it this way. And if you don't have an animal, I want you to get some grain and do it this way. And then if this happens, I don't want you to do what you used to do when you were in slavery. I want you to do it this way. And we find in Leviticus chapter 1 through Leviticus chapter 18, some of the most boring books in the Bible. Because it's simply God telling these people, do it this way. If this happens, do it this way. If you're bleeding and you need to sacrifice, do it this way. And it's simply because if you can only think in this, this context, you're going to need told very specifically how to think in a new context. So what we find very boring, the Israelites who are wandering through a desert preparing to enter a promised land would find very refreshing and new because it's God telling them how to live and how to be free. This, for slaves, is a step-by-step instruction on how to live and stay free. Otherwise, they're just wandering around in the desert terrified. But if God gives them specifically what to do, they can begin to live three. You don't have to live like this anymore. You can do this instead. Does this make sense? 
And then God brings them into the promised land. That's the third chair. And when they are on their way into the promised land, God does this crazy little thing. He invents this this thing called the Day of Atonement. The Year of Atonement. And it's this moment because this has all been very messy and it's been a learning curve for these people. If you're stuck in slavery and your mind only goes the way of slavery and you're trying to be obedient to a new way of thinking, you're not going to be perfect at it. And so God says, once a year, I want to push the reset button and cleanse you from all your sin. Once a year, I don't want to hold any more grudges. And I don't want you to hold any more grudges. And if you've been wronged, I want you to let all those wrongs go. And if you've wronged, we're all as a community going to let that go so that you can learn to be free. Let's read about that. It's in Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 26. And just like all of the other rules in Leviticus chapter 1 through 18, God has to be very specific with these people on how to do the year of atonement. And if you're not paying attention when you read this thing, you'll probably just skim it. But here's what God writes Verse 26, Leviticus 23, verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves. And present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do no work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God, anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. I will destroy from among his people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. It is a Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourselves from evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening you are to observe your Sabbath. Verse 30. I will destroy from among his people anyone who does any work on that day. Now, I'm not an Israelite. So, if Rob Link calls me and says, Hey, Rod, take the day off. I'm in South Haven. I'm not like, well, let me stop by the office first and send 20 emails. If someone tells me not to work, I don't work. I go rest. I go take some me time. I go re-energize my batteries. I go just stare at the sky or read a book or watch a movie. I rest because I've experienced rest and I know how to rest. And we see these people, God literally says to them, if any one of you works on the Day of Atonement, I will destroy you. I will kill you. He's already opened up the ground and eaten like half of them. 
And this is when we get into the Old Testament and we go, what in the world is going on with this God? Is he crazy? Is he mean? Is he a fascist? Does he like to kill people just because, just because they don't do what he says and he wants to make sure that everything he says is obeyed all the time? Or does he see something that they don't see? Because to a person who was born into this way of thinking, slavery, work, 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 don't stop. If my finger gets cut off or pinched or my foot gets crushed, I better keep working because if I stop working, they're going to come by and they're going to whip me or they're going to beat me or they're going to kill me or maybe they'll punish my family. I cannot stop working. I am a slave and this is how I survive. If you work on this day, I will destroy you. I think he used that language and I think he meant it because I think he wanted to communicate something to a people who only knew how to think one way. The way of the slave. To these people, I believe, their freedom, their freedom to not work, their freedom to be with family, their freedom to have a Sabbath, their freedom to know who they were, no longer slaves, was more important to God than their lives. Anybody ever seen Braveheart? They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. God's desire for these people to be free was more important than their lives. And then in Leviticus 25, he institutes this new thing called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee can't really come about until they enter into the promised land because the year of Jubilee involves returning to land. You have to own land. And the year of Jubilee, you can read about it through Leviticus chapter 25. It's all of the rules. And if you're not paying attention, you'll just skim it. But essentially, Leviticus 25 says this. On the 49th or the 50th year, people who are annoying debate that. Why would you debate if it's the 49th or the 50th year? After around 50 years, do this stuff. After around 50 years, return to the land that you own. Even if you've sold it, I'm going to give it back to you. And if you've chosen to put yourself into slavery like an indentured servant if you owed someone something and the only way that you could pay it off was to enter into slavery and serve them with all of you. If, if you've made that choice on the 50th year, you are free. And if the people who own you don't let you free, oh man, they're in trouble too. And every man is to return to his land and receive that land again, even if he has sold it. 
and you will return to your history. Now, if I only thought like a slave and someone told me every 50th year go back to where you came from, I'm not going to want to do that. Because I just entered the promised land. I don't want to say, okay God, every 50th year I'm going to go back here and I'm going to remember my slavery and the way that I used to think and the way that I used to live and the way that I used to behave. But with the year of Jubilee, God doesn't say go back to Egypt on the 50th year. He says go back to your homeland. Go back to the place you came from. And he's very intentional to say it's not that place. And in that moment, on the 50th year, and the teaching very specifically the Israelites how to live and how to honor the year of Jubilee, he takes the foundation of slavery that has controlled their thought and their life, and he reaches and grabs it, and he removes it, and he says, this, my friends, is no longer part of your history. Yeah. This is no longer part of where you came from. When you tell your children we're going back to where we came from, we're going to receive the land of our homeland, the place where we settled, the place where we began our family, the place where our foundation was laid, where everything we are is to be remembered, it's not Egypt. It's the promised land. And that's just how it's going to be. Here's what this means, guys. We have a father who desires more than anything that we no longer live or even count, give credit to the places that we came from. He wants new foundations to be laid and from those foundations, life to come. I used to be an alcoholic. Lay a new foundation. Lay a new one so that your children's 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 grandchildren speak about your history in a way that reflects Almighty God. And know this one thing. The sermon is very short. So know this one thing. Our Father cares more about your freedom than He does about your life. And he will fight for your freedom. Let him. If this is your church home, don't forget your joy boxes. And if you're new to the river, go to the back to the sign that says starting point, And we can help you find out everything you need to know. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. And may he bring you into freedom. And may we know that he is God. Amen.